0: Hey, it's Val. Thank you for clicking on the episode. We're back, and we're going to be releasing every two weeks on Fridays, so make sure to check in. As much as we want to uphold our values of bringing you information about California, we were unable to get any interviews for this episode. But thank you for bearing with us, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to your virtual history book and secret guide to the Golden State. This is California, Hiding in Plain Sight. I'm Val Zbigniewiczkowski. This is episode two. All over the world, California is defined in many people's lives as the home to one specific city. This city that lies on a peninsula also happens to be the home to arguably the most well-known landmark in California, the Golden Gate Bridge. Don't worry, we'll cover that one too. I'm of course referring to the city of the Bay Area, San Francisco. This place could easily have a history podcast of its own, except not much hides in plain sight there. But it's full of landmarks with history inside of history, such as its world-famous museums. This is the wonderful world of San Francisco Fine Arts in the heart of Golden Gate Park. a cloudy day where the soft fog covers the hills and the eucalyptus trees of Golden Gate Park in a gentle blanket. The park is a home to the pinnacle of fine arts in San Francisco, hosting the most visited art museum in SF, De Young. The park is also a neighbor to Lincoln Park, which hosts the Legion of Honor Museum. The organization Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco runs both museums, as the name suggests. After the ball, done by Mr. George the year is 1883 and President Benjamin Harrison's term was slowly coming to a close. Prepping for the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, Harrison appointed a San Francisco local newspaper man by the name of Michael H. DeYoung as a commissioner to the fair. Inspired by what he experienced in Chicago, DeYoung thought to stimulate California's economy during its depression. With immediate support from the public, the mayor of San Francisco, the governor of California, and many investors committed to moving from Chicago to San Francisco just for this, Young announced his California Midwinter International Exposition, specifically pointing out that thanks to California's weather, the fair could be held during the winter, since this luxury was not available in Chicago, this nonverbally invited residents of Chicago and numerous cities across the East Coast to come to the fair. Although the intention was to create more jobs and try to strengthen California's weak economy, the grand intention was to promote California as the land with endless opportunities. The fair was set to take place inside of the locally popular Golden Gate Park. The park's superintendent, John McLaren, was strongly against this decision as, quote, the damage to the natural setting would take decades to reverse. He was overruled by Congress in 1893, setting in stone the location for the upcoming fair. The fair encompassed about 200 acres, centered on the park's current music concourse, the large, gray, arc-like stage between the De Young and the California Academy of Sciences. In that space, 120 new structures were built for the exposition, and more than 2 million people visited. The fair was to feature four major buildings. These were the buildings for fine arts, agriculture and horticulture, mechanical arts, and manufacturers and liberal arts. Other major attractions included the park's famed Japanese Tea Garden, Bonnet's Tower, the amusement attractions, and the many cultural exhibits. Mr. McLaren was right that what the fair would bring would be practically irreversible, as many of the structures built for the exposition still stand and have become iconic. Let's zoom in on the Fine Arts Building. At the time, it was built to hold any art for the fair and was designed in a pseudo-Egyptian revival style and decoratively adorned with images of Hathor, the Egyptian cow goddess. The art in the museum was mostly donated by the artists, which allowed for the building, now called the Memorial Museum, to open as a free and public space for the people of San Francisco after the fair ended. This made it the earliest public art museum in the city. Although the structure was brick and the roof supported with iron trusses, like thousands of other buildings, it was badly damaged during the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which ruined the building's integrity. But nevertheless, audiences kept growing, and in response, D. Young started plans for an expanded core for the museum that would last through the 20th century with the design of louis christian Mallgart, the coordinator of architecture for the 1915 panama pacific exposition the spanish Plateresque style building took shape the signature tower of the museum was added by de young in 1921 along with the central section in 1929, four years after DeYoung's death, the original Egyptian style building of the Fine Arts Museum was finally declared unsafe and torn down, leaving its sister, the Michael H. DeYoung Memorial Museum, which was initially built as standalone. Throughout the years, the DeYoung changed physically for both safety reasons and to make room for new art collections, as the exhibiting process grew into a more formal and structured manner. The museum's original orientation was directed towards the Japanese tea garden and was upheld through section additions until the West Wing was constructed for Brundage's famous Asian art collection, one of the only stationary collections at the time. In 1994, city voters strongly supported the idea of renovating the former San Francisco Main Library into a new museum home for the Asian art. Architect Gay Alenti, famous for transforming historic structures into museums, designed the Civic Center facility where the collection now resides. Golden Gate Park's bird-eye view can reveal the careful mapping of de Young for the fair and how the structures can connect. Cursed by yet another earthquake in 1989, the museum's structural integrity was in jeopardy once again. The Fine Arts Museum's board created a temporary brace for the structure until something permanent could be created. With public input, the board initiated a privately financed institution in DeYoung's name as a philanthropic gift to San Francisco. In 1999, after a lengthy architectural design dilemma, a Swiss firm was announced to have the winning reconstruction design. And with a successful multi-million dollar fundraising campaign, construction began when the museum closed to the public on December 31st, 2000. A few of the old elements, including palm trees, sphinxes, and the pool of enchantment, were kept and reconstructed with the new museum. Now, those sphinxes can be found at the entrance, and the redesigned pool of enchantment on the original site of the Fine Arts Museum. On October 15, 2005, the modern D. Young Museum was open to the public, with a design that is more woven into the park, as well as lighting elements which enhance the art viewing experience. This museum is among the top ten most visited art museums in the United States, and by far number one in San Francisco. The museum just celebrated their 125th anniversary in the spring of 2020. As the museum evolves, grows, and finds more and more new ways to connect with its visitors through art, it upholds Michael DeYoung's vision for the museum, for the quote, use, benefit, and enjoyment of people forever. above the Golden Gate Bridge stands the majestic California Palace of the Legion of Honor. The museum's gorgeous setting in Lincoln Park is made even more dramatic by the imposing French neoclassical building. The year is 1915 and Alma de Brettville Spreckels, a wealthy philanthropist from Brettville neighborhood in San Francisco, similar to de Young, is inspired by an exposition. Only this was San Francisco's Panama-Pacific International Exposition. The fair had everything. When you tired of the auto racing, you could always watch the camels run. That is, if you weren't chasing after the Penny car, or gawking at the movie stars and celebrities. Scarbuckle and Mabel Norman, for instance. Or listening to John Philip Sousa lead the band in the court of the universe. There were daredevils to amaze you. Some were in the water and others in the air. There was plenty of culture and history too. Beautiful girls and beautiful animals. It was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to San Francisco. She had fallen in love with the French pavilion presented there. The pavilion was a replica of the, watch the French accent, Palais de la Légion d'Honneur or Palace of the Legion of Honor in Paris, a distinguished 18th-century landmark. The palace was originally called Hôtel du Salm, or Salm Hotel, designed by architect Pierre Rousseau for the prince of Salm-Kryborg in 1782. The hotel hosted the German prince before his fortunes fell in the French Revolution, and Madame d'Ustael, a French political theorist. She witnessed Napoleon take over the hotel shortly after her establishing residence in 1804. Napoleon made the hotel the home of his newly established Légion d'honneur, the order he created as a reward for civil and military merit. Back in San Francisco, aware of the relatively newly built de Young Museum, Spreckels persuaded her sugar magnate husband to invest in a replica of the Legion of Honor to serve as San Francisco's new art museum. Once the fair closed and the French pavilion closed with it, the French government gave permission to Spreckels to construct a permanent replica. Due to World War I, construction only began in 1921. On a remote, yet drop-dead gorgeous location known as Land's End, the replica was finished in 1924. Touched by the tragic events of the war, donors wanted to make the museum a place to, quote, honor the dead while serving the living. This was even more of a persuading factor, which made San Francisco accept the building as an official museum of fine arts dedicated to the nearly 4,000 California men who lost their lives on the French battlefields. Architect George Applegrath was tasked with designing the three-quarter scaled adaptation of the Parisian landmark, filled with the latest in museum construction technology, including the tall 21-inch thick hollow tile walls built with their natural heating and air filtration system. The structure held up strong until an assessment in 1980 showed that the building needed to be made seismically secure. Ironically, after the 1989 earthquake, a major renovation took place adding to the structure's strength, restoring historical elements, underground expansions adding 35,000 square feet, and more to make the building's architectural technology up-to-date. Visitor services and program facilities also increased. Architects Barnes and Cavaniero, who were the heads of this giant operation, were careful not to ruin the environmental integrity in the historical facade of the site. The 42% increase in square footage allowed for six special exhibition galleries to be built under the Court of Honor. In a statement delivered to the Board of Park Commissioners in 1920, Adolf B. Spreckels, Alma Spreckels' husband, declared it was the purpose of, quote, my wife and myself to contribute to the beautification of our native city, something not only beautiful in itself, but also something devoted to patriotic and useful ends, something which might be dedicated as a suitable memorial to our brave boys who gave their lives to their country in the Great War, and also lend itself as a home of art and historical treasures to promoting the education and culture of our citizens, and especially the rising and coming Generations. We'll be right back after this break. Have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Let me tell you, making that decision will change your life for the better. But starting a podcast from scratch can sometimes feel overwhelming. I know a lot about that. Luckily, I found Buzzsprout to make the podcast launching process incredibly easy. Not only is Buzzsprout super easy to work with, you can list your podcast, find sponsors, make a website, and so much more in just a few clicks. So now, all you need is a microphone, a quiet space, and Buzzsprout. It not only gets your show listed on every major podcast platform, but the team at Buzzsprout is extremely passionate about helping you succeed in the podcasting world. Following the link in the description of this episode lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps you support our show. So join over 100,000 podcasters, including us, on Buzzsprout to get your podcast up and running today. This episode is sponsored by Michael Radwin and Bo Bornman. Thank you for your generous support. Hi, I'm Val and I'm your audio guide to the stationary collections of the D. Young and Legion of Honor Fine Arts Museums. If you are willing to take your listening experience to the next level, Open a browser, book, or anything on which you can find art. Looking at specific art, a general work of an artist, or a collection that I will be referring to will enhance your experience with this walkthrough. If you can't do so now, you can always come back and listen again. Welcome to the D Young Museum. the D. Young showcases American art from the 17th through 21st centuries, international contemporary art, textiles and costumes, and art from the Americas, the Pacific, and Africa. The American collection houses large quantities of paintings, sculptures, and decorative objects. Works range from 1670 to the present day. The collection represents the most comprehensive museum survey of American art in the American West, and is among the top ten collections nationally that encompass the entire history of non-Indigenous American art. The beginnings of American visual art began with artists such as John White. He first visited America as the artist and mapmaker for an exposition of exploration and in the early years of the colonial period, most other artists trained in Western styles were officers in the army and navy, whose training included sketching landscapes. Eventually, the English settlements grew large enough to support professional artists, mostly portrait painters, often largely self-taught. Artists such as White created important records of Native American life. Although this permanent collection is made up of nationwide art, Pieces from the Gold Rush era in California are also on display. Important California collections with national significance include examples of Spanish colonial arts and crafts and the Bay Area figurative and assemblage art. The work of the Bay Area figurative movement arguably signifies the most significant and subtle challenge to the dominance of abstract expressionism in post-Second World War North American art. Important among them is one of the most significant museum collections of work by Bay Area sculptor Ruth Asawa, who personally donated 15 of her famous wire bodies for a permanent installation at the De Young. What set her work apart from others making sculptures was the lightness and transparency of her work, as well as the sculpture's movement since they were suspended from the ceiling it was only much later in life that she realized that she had made the same forms as a young child on her parents farm sitting on the back of a horse drawn leveler which scraped the soil so that irrigation water could reach the end of the rows she dragged her toes in the fine soil as the horses walked to make the playful and complex outlines of her looped wire sculptures Sculptures and decorative objects are integrated throughout the galleries to emphasize the context and sometimes message of the pieces on display. In 1978, the American art collection was transformed by the decision of John D. Rockefeller III and Blanchette Hooker Rockefeller, who donated their renowned collection of 110 paintings, 29 drawings, and two sculptures to the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco, where they would be on display at the De Young. Their bequests are among the museum's most important gifts, ma'am. Would you please put down the camera? There is no photography in this gallery. Thank you. Alright, right through here is the international collection. In 1988, a direct commitment was made by the institution to start collecting international art in many different forms of media. Unlike the American collection, the International Contemporary Collection not only has painted art, but also houses installation and conceptual pieces, as well as video, photography, and time-based creations. This art has an intention to specifically emphasize the word contemporary in the name of the collection, and to better reflect the practice of such art. Recent contemporary acquisitions include Wall of Light Horizon by Sean Scully and Signature Sculptures by Jean Wang and Cornelia Parker. Although the artists of the collection are international, the strength of the collection lies in artists associated with California. The Textile and Costume Collection holds over 13,000 pieces of fabric and clothing, making it one of the largest and most comprehensive collections of its type. With holdings that span two and a half millennia and represent cultures from 125 countries, the Textile Arts Collection enables the museum to draw connections across cultures and enrich its other collections. Young men, please do not touch the fabric. Thank you. Some of the most treasured items include Turkmen carpets, rare North Indian silks from the 12th to 15th century, European tapestries, and contemporary fiber art. The eerie beauty of some of these items lies in their age. More than any other stationary collection, the textile and costumes will connect you to the artist's culture, as the pieces radiate spirit of both people of ancient civilizations and those alive now. Songs such as Respect and All You Need Is Love were famous products of the Summer of Love. But in 2017, the DeYoung-organized San Francisco Summer of Love Fashion Celebration decided to emphasize the clothing of the late 1960s. The exhibition attracted a record-breaking 270,000 international visitors. Now, I wasn't at the exhibition, and I imagine this wasn't true, but I still always have hope that the gallery was playing Let the Sun Shine In while visitors explored the fashion. Ah, I can just imagine how entertaining that could have been. Ah yes, here we are at the African collection. Something important to note is that this collection is presented thematically rather than geographically, emphasizing the aesthetic and expressive qualities of the art although the 1,400 stellar examples come from all over the continent. The nucleus of the Oceanic Collection was originally formed in the California Midwinter Fair. Highlights of the collection include a 10-foot house post, a group of brightly painted carvings used in Malangan ceremonials of New Ireland, a roll of feather money from Nindu Island of Santa Cruz, fans from Polynesia, a rare navigation figure from Micronesia, and a selection of powerful wood carvings from the Maori people of New Zealand, none of which are to be touched. I'm looking at you, sir. Yes, you. The Art of the Americas collection are of national significance to art history, anthropology, and world history, and they have helped establish the D Young as a primary source for cultural research and study. The extensive collection of ancient American and Native American art from Mesoamerica, Central and South America, and the West Coast of North America comprises nearly 2,000 works of art. Pieces from cultures indigenous to the American continents were a defining feature of the museum's charter collection and continue to be an area of significant growth. In preparation for the new de Young Museum building, a large re-evaluation took place to examine de Young's process of collection and exhibition. Fred Wilson, an internationally exhibited contemporary artist, created a series of new artistic installations, revisions, and interventions. He thought about everything from better contextualizing the art in the galleries, to rewriting labels, and even exploring the role of the display cases. Wilson was famous for practically forcing museums into rethinking their roles as, quote, keepers of culture, end quote, and for attempting to challenge viewers' ideas about the classic role of a museum. His interventions were often surprising or even controversial, but they encouraged visitors to be more aware of cultural and historical facts coexisting with the art, something many museums do not exhibit. Welcome to the California Palace of the Legion of Honor. Unlike de Young's multicultural spectrum of art, the collections in Legion of Honor are much more centered on European art, something not highly emphasized or explored at de Young. The collection of art is representative of European artistic expression, a large portion of which is French. Its most distinguished collection is of sculptures by Auguste Rodin, Casts of some of his most famous works are on display, including one of The Thinker in the Court of Honor. Other artists in the collection include El Greco, Titian, Rubens, Rembrandt, Beauchert, David, Tiapello, Gainsborough, and many of the Impressionists and Post-Impressionists, Degas, Renoir, Monet, Pissarro, Seirat, Cezanne, Van Gogh, and others. Legion of Honor is among the museums that house a Monet water lily, which were inspired by Monet's long-standing preference for producing and exhibiting a series of paintings related by subject and perspective. The work and tone of the European art can be so surreal and complex that there are conflicting theories of intention and origin of some art. Rodin's The Thinker, originally based on Divine Comedy, an Italian narrative poem, is part of a doorway called The Gates of Hell. Some critics believe that it was originally intended to depict Dante, the poet who wrote Divine Comedy, at the gates of Hell, pondering his great poem. Other critics reject that theory, pointing out that the figure is naked while Dante is fully clothed throughout his poem, and that the sculptor's physique does not correspond to Dante's effete figure. The sculpture is nude, as Ruddin wanted a heroic figure in the tradition of Michelangelo to represent intellect as well as poetry. Yes, great job. You can do the thinker pose. Let's all take a moment and do the thinker pose just to, you know, get it out of our system. The museum's collection of European decorative arts includes a gilded Spanish ceiling from circa 1500, numerous items of furniture including Horace Walpole's commode of 1763 from West London, and three period rooms, including the Salon Doré from the Hôtel de la Tremoille, Paris, said to be the only complete example of a pre-revolutionary Parisian salon to be displayed anywhere. We're going to head outside to visit the Holocaust Memorial, a sculptural group of white-painted bronze by George Segal, installed in 1984. Situated off the northwest corner of the Legion grounds, the memorial is not part of the Legion's collections, but the sculpture is often viewed by visitors to the museum. Several of the bodies in the sculpture were designed to be symbolic. One of the bodies resembles Christ. Another is of a woman holding an apple, symbolizing Eve. Together, they symbolize the connection between Jews and Christians. The only standing man, a survivor, is thought to be the sculptor's representation of Margaret Bork-White's famous Life Magazine 1945 photograph of the liberation of Buchenwald. The Achenbach Foundation for Graphic Arts, AFGA, is the department responsible for the Fine Arts Museum's collection of works of art on paper, Prints, drawings, and artists' books. The department is named after Moore and Hazel Achenbach, who gave the bulk of their collection to the city of San Francisco in 1948, and the remainder upon Moore Achenbach's death in 1963, with the intent of showcasing the evolution of graphic art from the 15th century to the present day. The collection offers unique insight into the historical, political, and social movements of the previous 600 years of human history through art. The Foundation worked hard to fulfill that goal, attempting to fill all necessary gaps in the given collection. The AFGA is now responsible for over 90,000 works of art, making it the largest repository for works of art on paper in the western United States. Selections from the collection are exhibited in rotating exhibitions in specially designated galleries at the De Young and the Legion of Honor while the remainder of the collection is stored in the department's facilities at the Legion of Honor, along with the museum's collection of photography. A lot of the collection is available for viewing at the Aachenbach Foundation for Graphic Arts Study Center, separate from both Legion and De Young. And that concludes your tour through the stationary collections of the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. What? Why are you all staring at me? Oh. The cafe is to your right. The museums that we are focusing on are just two out of the many art exhibitors in San Francisco, such as the Asian Art Museum or Museum of Modern Art. Together, the museums act as pieces in a puzzle, complementing each other because of their differences. Even just focusing on D. Young and Legion, the two create a full experience together, as they show art which the other one misses. But if they complement each other, how do they fit in our society in the 21st century? In the present, many of our social and sometimes political issues come from the lack of historical knowledge, even though, for instance, in American art, artists were committed to making part of America's history expressed visually. Obviously, not all artists had that similar vision for their art, but involuntarily, their art became a historical artifact in our modern world, whether they intended it to be or not. So, the fine art presented in these museums is simply a teacher. Yes, the art is beautiful, emotional, and inspirational, But right now, it's here to give us valuable knowledge. And that knowledge will stick with us more because of how it makes us, the viewers, feel. The physical museums are the classrooms, if you will. These classrooms are already resources for so many organizations, and they are very accessible to us. So, in the 21st century, we can see that the future of these museums is almost solidified in our present. As our world gets more and more virtually composed, the real-life fine art becomes an ever-growing window into history. It stands as a sign of reality and creativity that can motivate us all to enjoy our natural, non-electronic world. Of course, fine art is constantly added, and contemporary art plays a big role in the collection. But the creation of such art symbolizes the same message as the art from the 15th century, or even the 12th, It will make and teach history. Plus, contemporary art that uses technology only helps show the balance of virtual reality and the real world, emphasizing that with all the new technological advancements, we can still keep making art and keep building the history of our time for the future. Both of the fine arts museums are so incredibly well thought out that in one trip, visitors could easily miss so many hidden treasures and features. The Legion of Honor experience starts with its iconic courtyard, or Court of Honor. Rodin's The Thinker cast greets visitors with its larger-than-life manner. The courtyard, being very formally laid out, pushes The Thinker as the main focal point. The key second focal point is the glass pyramid that many have recognized to resemble a glass structure in the Louvre in France, although there is no direct relationship between the two pyramids. The Legion pyramid sits atop the rosecrans court and special exhibition galleries added with the underground expansion. It acts as a skylight for the galleries below, while also acting as a light and tensile counterpoint to the heavy stone materials of the Court of Honor, lending scale and interest. Inside, the museum has history for both the eyes and the ears. In 1924, John D. Spreckles invested in a symphonic organ to be constructed into the Spreckles Gallery. The organ, with its 4,500 pipes, is almost woven into the gallery outside of the visitor's view, achieving its design goal to blend in with the museum's structure. The ceilings were cleverly made canvas so the sound could be heard through the gallery and museum although the canvas was painted to appear as marble to fit in with the gallery. The museum highly suggests to visit during a performance and to explore the collections while listening. of honor has appeared in numerous films, the most interesting of which is Alfred Hitchcock's movie Vertigo in 1958. Vertigo, a feeling of dizziness, a swimming in the head, figuratively a state in which all things seem to be engulfed in a whirlpool of terror, as created by Alfred Hitchcock in the story that gives new meaning to the word suspense. When Scotty, played by James Stewart, follows Madeline Elster, played by King Novak, to the museum, she stares at one painting for a considerable time. Say, will you tell me something? That, uh, that lady sitting in there, who's the woman in the painting she's looking at? Oh, that's Carlotta. I find it in the catalog. Portrait of Carlotta. May I have this? Yes. The painting, a portrait of the fictional Carlotta Valdez, was a prop created specifically for the production by artist John Farron and is not housed at the museum. The de Jong, on the other hand, is slightly more of an architectural wonder. After taking serious damage in both the 1906 and 1989 earthquakes, architects Jacques Herzog and Pierre Duméron from the Swiss firm designed a "...system of ball-bearing sliding plates and viscous fluid dampers that absorb kinetic energy and convert it to heat." This allows the building to shift three feet in the event of an earthquake. The designers were quite sensitive to the appearance of the building in its natural setting, Walter Hood, a landscape architect based in Oakland, designed the museum's new gardens. The entire exterior is clad in copper, which is expected to eventually oxidize and take on a greenish tone similar to the Statue of Liberty. The fading and eventual change in color of the original reflective and shiny copper is meant to convey the fact of change, at large referencing the massive changes this museum has undergone, including the concrete platteresque decorations on Mulgart's design, which eventually deteriorated and fell off. Plus, the copper has a distinct texture to echo the nearby eucalyptus trees. In order to further harmonize with the surroundings, shapes were cut into the top to reveal gardens and courtyards where dozens of trees had been planted. The giant tree ferns that form a backdrop for the museum entrance are particularly dramatic. A 144-foot observation tower allows visitors to see much of Golden Gate Park's music concourse and rises high above the park's treetops, providing a beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean, Golden Gate Bridge, and Marin Headlands. This twisting tower is a distinctive feature and can be seen rising above the canopy of Golden Gate Park from many areas of San Francisco. The museum also offers outdoor seating in the Osher Sculpture Garden for both the cafe patrons and other visitors hoping to explore more outdoor art. Also, if you thought this museum couldn't get any more interesting, the seats in the auditorium are made of old baseball glove leather. Mic drop. These two museums complement each other because of their differences and just add on to the rich history of the fog city. The collections, magnificent locations, architectural brilliance, and so much more puts them at the top of the art museum lists of San Francisco and makes them a must see in California. We're closing the virtual history textbook for now, and we'll open it back up soon to a fresh new episode on our journey to bring listeners like you the history and secrets of what's visible, but possibly unknown, in the Golden State. Signing off, this is Vau with California Hiding in Plain Sight. California Hiding in Plain Sight Episode 2 was written and edited by Val Zvinickovsky with material edited by Stas Vinickovsky. Special thanks to Michael Radwin and Bo Bornman for sponsoring this episode. The theme and transition music used in this podcast is provided by Epidemic Sound. This podcast was distributed using BuzzSprout. Support this podcast on our Patreon page and get early access to episodes, personalized messages, and more. Support us at patreon.com forward slash californiahiding. You can visit our website for other ways to listen and more information at californiahiding.buzzsprout.com or visit tinyurl.com forward slash californiahiding.